Welcome to episode 61 of On the Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On the Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. For several weeks, I've been counting down to today, the day my book is finally available as a paperback. That's right. You can now get Croissants versus Bagels, Strategic, Effective, and Inclusive Networking at Conferences in print, and it even includes a link to download the free audiobook, which I narrated myself. Get your copy at robbysamuels.com slash bookstore, where you'll also be able to download the free bonus bundle for the Kindle book. I'll be celebrating tonight in Boston at my book launch party. I'm excited to thank in person so many of the people who've supported me along the way. Thanks for all your support. On the Schmooze is proud to be a headliner on C-Suite Radio, which is part of the C-Suite Network, a network of a half million C-level executives. Now, on to this week's show. Today's guest is a five-time best-selling author and the CEO of an online publishing business that grew to 1.3 million in the first year and is now on pace to do over 3.2 million in 2017. He's helped thousands of people on their journey to writing and publishing their first book through his company, Self-Publishing School. He wrote and published his first book while in college, and it was such a success that he dropped out of school. Realizing he could earn thousands of dollars a month in passive income was a huge epiphany. His life's mission became helping other people unlock that same experience. He was bitten by the entrepreneurial bug at an early age when he saw that he could make a lot more money working for himself. While his friends were off searching for jobs, he was out starting businesses. By age 20, his businesses earned over $320,000, and he received the Entrepreneur of the Year Award from the Young Entrepreneurs Across America. Please join me in welcoming Chandler Bolt. Hey, hey, hey. How's it going? Chandler, thank you so much for joining me from your office in San Francisco. I'm thrilled to have you on. You, uh, you inspired me to write a book. So I want to just talk a little bit about that and leadership in general. So what does leadership mean to you? And, and when did you first realize you had the skills to lead? <laughs> so this is a funny question because to me, uh, leadership means growing, coaching, and building, building people up, which, um, I mean, there's a lot of different ways that you can do that. I mean, I do that through my program and things like that, um, self-publishing school and coaching people up on the author side, but then also in, internally in my company through my employees. And <laughs> uh, realizing I had the leader, the ability to lead, this was actually, I, I think it was kind of the opposite for me. I realized that I, had, I did not have it, or I realized that I was very poor at it. Um, and this has actually been a mission of mine for probably the last year, because uh, some people might be able to relate to this. I realized that I was a, a, well, a pretty good manager. I'd say a uh, above average manager, but a horrible leader. Uh, and leadership for me was one of those things that I just kind of put in the box of like, oh, let's talk about other things that doesn't matter, right? Like, <laughs> you know, let's gra- gather around a campfire and talk about like things that aren't going to actually make a difference. I was more of just like a hard nose, like let's let's be efficient, let's you know do things like that. And then uh, it took one of my best employees leaving me uh, and 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 going to do his own company that I was like, oh man, this is the best person I've ever been able to hire. And I'm obviously not a good enough leader uh, to keep him at my company. Uh, so that kind of kick-started, uh, I like to set an intention 
every year, like a main goal and then an intention. So I'll have like my number one goal and then uh, something I want to be better at. And last year for me, it was confidence and decisiveness. Uh, this year it's leadership. So, I mean, as a, you know, like even right now, uh, I just finished this this morning, leadership and the one minute manager. Uh, I've finished a weekly coaching conversation last week. It's like, I'm going through everything I could possibly get my hands on. Um, and in the process, that's changed what I think a leader is and, and kind of my view because um, I, I, and I, this is, this was my view. And I think it might be a, a lot of people um, that are listening might share this as well is I, you know, I just viewed my people as like resources uh, that, 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 that helped me get to my goals, <laughs> right? And, and now it's just so different. It's like my number one job is to help them get to their goals. <laughs> uh, and if right. I do that and if I help prop them up and make sure that they're successful, then the business is going to do great. I'm going to do great. But just keeping them is the number one thing and then keeping my customers out front as well. Um, that's been the biggest shift uh, in my view of leadership. That, I mean, that's an excellent example of, you know, you could kind of just with gut instincts, like get people to follow you in the sense that you, you know, you have a plan. You're like, all right, we're going to do this thing. But they're not really that happy <laughs> along totally. the way. They're totally. like, all right, you know, someone else has a plan, but it's like not theirs. It sounds like you're really helping. I don't how, how many people are in your company? How many when you're talking about people you're working with? Yes, we've got eight full time, including myself, and then a handful of other contractors as well. Yeah, so a lot. I mean, enough people that you need to really think about how people gel and what they individually need to succeed. And sometimes you're you're actually propping them up, and they will leave, but they'll leave really excited about what you're working on, and you know, continue to be a partner to the organization. So that sounds like a hard lesson that you had to learn with the your best employee leaving. That's it's <laughs> a real wake up call. Yeah, well, and, and the lesson is, ex- is exactly what you just said, uh, or what you alluded to, which is, um, you know, for me personally, being charismatic can only take you so far. Like, I could rally people up, I could get them excited, we're doing this, uh, and, and people would get excited about what's going on, but then that'll only take, like, if you're a bad leader, that's only going to take you so far, right? And especially, you know, uh, just, I don't know, I just felt like it was a big wake-up call for me. Um, I got into business for a lot of pure reasons, uh, and then when you have to make next month's run, next month's rent, you forget about those reasons, right? And you're just like, I, I just felt like a slave driver, just like trying to get like guys because there were there's a bunch of really hard times in business, and that can make you forget about like what's really happening or what's really important, right? And now the the business has really progressed, uh, and and it's highly profitable. You know, we're in a really good spot. Uh, and so now it's what's been really refreshing is I feel like I can get back to the basics and back to a lot of the reasons I got into this to begin with. That's awesome. I, I'm wondering whether there was any evidence even earlier in life that you either, I don't know, gravitated towards or shied away from leadership opportunities. Yeah. So um, early in life, I'd say I gravitated towards um, leadership and, and, but so my parents are calling boss man bolt. <laughs> uh, and, and so I, you know, I'd rally people around, but again, I think it wasn't, um, I wouldn't define a lot of that as leadership. You know, maybe it was an inkling of it. Uh, and, and also I'm a little bit hard on myself. So it's, it's, it's probably, there's a, probably an element of that where I, you know, had some innate leadership abilities, but just, I don't know, not to the level that I feel like I, I know I'm capable of, and certainly not to the level that I think it takes um, to grow a very successful company, which is what I feel like I was put on this earth to do. And so I felt like 
you know, I kept uh, the business. It was just an epiphany for me at the turn of the year. It's like the business has hit a ceiling based on my leadership ability. Unless I raise my personal ceiling, um, it's never going to get any better. And I read a really good book called Extreme Ownership. Um, It's by Jocko Willenick. He also has the Jocko podcast. Um, Very intense guy, Navy SEAL. Um, But the book just completely changed my life. Uh, And he goes through this concept of extreme ownership, which, you know, it's kind of explained in the word extreme ownership, right? It's a great title. (laughs) Title. Um, and, but it's, it's about how, you know, it was, it was a very, it's a big wake up call for me. It's like, uh, you know, literally you, 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 as a leader, your job is to own everything. So when, when things go great, um, it's all because of your employees. When things go horribly, it's all your fault. <laughs> right. Uh, and just owning everything. And I realized in that moment, reading that book, uh, that I, that's not what was happening. Uh, I, like we have a very good hiring process. We're hiring great people. And then it's like, they wouldn't perform. And I'm like, man, this person sucks. I'm going to have to fire them and bring in someone else. And then you can only do that so many times before you realize, oh, wait, no, I suck. <laughs> the common denominator here is me. <laughs> the common denominator is me. Uh, and I, I need to be, it's, it's obvious that I'm not setting my people up for success and I need to do better. Uh, and, and it sounds like it would be a burden, like extreme ownership. Wow, everything's your fault. Does that not just like crush your soul? But it's actually the other way around, right? I, it's the most freeing thing ever to be able to just come to my people when something screws up. It's like, hey guys, uh, I didn't set us up for success here. This is my fault. Um, and let's, let's move, let's, what do we learn from this? Let's move forward. Uh, and it's, it's funny, when you start doing that, everyone pays attention and they do the same thing. <laughs> so it was like, they, my people weren't taking ownership because I wasn't taking ownership. And now when they see me being a leader and leading from out in front and saying, hey, uh, this was my fault. Now people will come on to a meeting and they're like, hey guys, this is totally my fault. Um, I screwed this up, but let's make this better. And it's like, whoa, that never happened before I started doing that. And mm-hmm. so I think that kind of brings full circle, like what it means to be a leader and, uh, and, and, and how, how that rubs off and grows other people. Chandler, I love this because I don't think anyone else has gone through such an explicit description of their own personal transformation on this podcast. I ask this question of everybody, but it, it, I love what you said, the visualization of like my company hit a ceiling because I personally hit a ceiling. And that unless you did your work, you were limiting the possibilities. Like, you know, and, and I, you know, we know that entrepreneurs are usually the person's who's the bottleneck in every company, <laughs> you know, like that's why you need to hire smart people. But you were saying even more than that, that the tone you set, you know, whether or not you were taking responsibility, you know, like true leadership was more than being a manager and like you had to grow in that way. And it sounds like you named some great books. We're going to put those in the show notes as well. So you, you created this empire and uh, I mean, I, uh, I'm an, I'm a member of the national speakers association. And so, you know, I go to their conferences. And I meet a lot of people who are speakers and also, you know, book coaches and, you know, individually they work with people. And part of what drew me to work with you, and I like stumbled upon your summit, probably through Dory Clark. I'll have to give her credit. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. She's a good friend. She's and, great. and then like within a minute was like signed up for everything. <laughs> you know, like I just was <laughs> like, oh, I guess I need all these things. But it was because you were offering like an entire ecosystem and a community. And I was really drawn to the idea of that Facebook community. And I, I wasn't disappointed. What, like, I know how hard it is. In fact, there are now people selling services that teach you how to create the kind of Facebook community you have. Like, what did you do? Or, or was it accidental? Like, how did that community become 
what it is like a very, um, I mean, just smart, supportive, engaged, you know, all the things you would want. Uh, how did, how did that get seeded in the very beginning? Yeah, that's a great question. I think there's multiple, multiple decisions, multiple phases. Uh, first things first is charging for it. Um, that was a, that was, a, that was the big decision early on. Um, it's like, I look at it like software. I hate buying software that doesn't have a recurring fee. Um, because I know that the person I'm buying from is not incentivized to make that software better. Um, they're incentivized to sell more people one-offs of that software, right? They have to do that. They have to hunt and kill every single month uh, just to keep the lights on versus if they charge me every month, then that's going to help fuel them to make this thing better. And that's what I want to do because I want to keep using the software or I wouldn't have signed up for it to begin with, you know? <laughs> uh, and so I look at it very similarly with communities. There's a lot of communities that it's just free. So the person who built it, uh, they have no incentives to make it better. Um, so I think that's the first thing. Like we have both the incentive and the resources to like, I pay really good people uh, to like make, cultivate that, to uh, really make sure that the community is high level. Um, so that's the first thing uh, is just the, the business model around it. Um, the second thing is kind of the designing something that I would want to be a part of and really no, like no BS. So um I, we, we went back and forth, like we just wanted a no promotions group. And, and the one way that we've budged on that is like launch teams and stuff for people's books. And even sometimes I've debated pulling that because I'm like, I really want it to be, um, there's, there's just no, it's, it, this is not a promotions group. There's a ton of Facebook groups you can go to promote, uh, things like that. This is like a, this is a true mastermind. Like this is where we, the, the best, of the best, most cutting edge things get shared. Uh, so I think setting that hard line and not being afraid uh, to piss some people off sometimes because very frequently we have to remove posts uh, and private message people and say, Hey, this doesn't fit our guidelines. Um, if you do this, this, and this, like you can post, post it back, but you just got to remove this. Um, so that's tough though, especially when you, you know, uh, when you like people and you want to see people do well, it can be hard because some people get offended by that. Like if you remove their posts or something. So that's the second thing. And then the third thing, and this is more important than any, anything else. I think it's just uh, hiring really, really good people, <laughs> you know, and leading them. Like um, I've got some really good people, uh, both in the community and in the company. I mean, Sean Sumner, who's our community manager, um, miles who not a lot of people know about, but she does a ton of stuff behind the scenes. Um, we've got Deanna, we've got Laura, you know, it's just like, there really is a, there's a full, um, full team behind it that can really help make sure that our members are set up for success in there. Um, so that's what I'd say kind of like the, if I had to break it down into three things, that's, yeah. that's how we designed it. Now, when you first got started though, it, it was a free thing and you then had to morph it Were the people, how many, how many people did you have in there when you were like, Hey yeah. guys, by the way, it's going to be a certain amount of money now. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good call. You did your research there because that was a long time ago that we, we, it was for free. Um, and that was, we had actually had in a Slack, I think we had in a Slack group. Um, and so I think that made it easier to transition. Um, cause I think we transitioned while we were still in a Slack group. Um, this has been a while. Uh, but I, it was, um, because we were like, Hey guys, we got to pay monthly for Slack. <laughs> Still, I keep you guys in here. So like, and you know, um, this is going to be, this is going to turn into a recurring thing. Uh, and I read a book called the automatic customer. Um, I'm going to, I apologize, but I'm just going to keep saying I've read a book and I read a book and you should read this book and stuff. It's a big part of what I do obviously with my business, but also, um, 
I read a book a week. So it's like, uh, that's something that's really important for me and where I learned some of my best stuff. But I read a book called Automatic Customer um, by John Warrillo, the same guy who wrote Built to Sell. And he talks, it's automatic customer. So subscription-based businesses. So think automatic customer, meaning the customer shows up every single month automatically. Uh, and so I read that book and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm doing it wrong. Uh, so I said, like, we will never sell anything ever again that doesn't have a subscription built in. Um, that's how we're going to build our whole business. Um, and then it also challenges us to like make the product way better because if the product's not any good, then you can sell the subscription one thing, but then to keep people on the subscription is a totally different thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really challenges us to make sure that the product is high level. Um, so that's what sparked that change. We did it in the early days. And as he says in that book, like if you're going to make that change, it's got to be a hard line. Like either you're in or you're out, not like, hey, if you want to, we're going to do the subscription. And if not, you know, it's just like you got to just make a hard line. And it definitely, uh, I'd say, upset some people in the beginning. But we're just like, hey, we're building something great. If, if, if you're not, if, if, you, if you're upset by that, then just leave. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and just like, just know that if you stay, it's going to be really good. And we're going to have it. a lot of fun and yeah. build, you know, build something good. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you've gone through like all these iterations and sort of growing pains around it. Um, what year did, did everything really kind of like get started in, in this current iteration of uh, self-publishing school? So self-publishing school launched in 2015. Yeah, um, so much has happened. Wow. Yeah. So it's two and a half years, a little over two and a half years old. Um, and I want to say we did, I can't remember if we, cause we launched bestselling book system is what we called it. It was the, it was like kind of like the, um, the cohort that we tested because I wanted to test it and make sure it works first. Cause I can't sell something that I don't believe in. So it's like, I need to prove that I can replicate the success that I've had with books um, in other people. Uh, and so we proved that with a, a small class of 44 people with what we call best-selling book system at the time. Uh, and then we had a third business partner that wasn't working out. So we dropped down to two um, and then launched self-publishing school. Wow. Yeah. So what do you find most rewarding about, everything you're doing today? <laughs> oh, a lot more than I did when I was first trying to get this thing to like even just pay the bills. Like that's the, that's the grind. That's the hard, that's the hard times. Um, but for me now, there's a bunch of things. Um, obviously st- seeing the success of our students and seeing people's lives like permanently change, like forever change when they write and publish that book in so many ways, like their confidence uh, they're, they're launching businesses. They're like, like they've had a side project that maybe this was the first one ever that was successful for them. Right. Like all these things. So that's probably the coolest thing. And what's weird though, is that you kind of get numb to that. Cause we have, it's just like, we have so much, so many successful students. <laughs> one of my, um, <laughs> this is like a first world problem, right? Like one of my, um, one of my uh, things that I really have to be on top of is like making sure that our staff, like, gets it. Uh, and, and, and we don't become complacent as a staff. Like we have a positive feedback channel in Slack uh, where it's like, we'll post wins from customers from the mastermind community, from emails, stuff like that. And it can be easy to just be like, Oh yeah, whatever. You know, they're just always coming in and it's like, my life was totally changed or like I quit my jobs and like, or like, you know, all this stuff. And uh, so like, but that's really rewarding and also kind of, uh, you know, trying to keep that fresh. That's number one. Uh, number two is seeing my, uh, my team develop uh, and seeing their lives change. So like my very first employee, um, we hired him out of, uh, out of a factory. He was working on tire molds, like breathing in toxic chemicals, hated it, 
all this stuff. We hired him. He literally burned his boots <laughs> um, as like a celebration. And now he's gone all the way up to my right hand guy. And just to see the progression for him personally, like in his family and his relationship with his wife, relationship with his kids. Like I'm talking like full 360 degrees of life. Um, and just to know that I've had a part in that and like helping him uh, and really challenging him to like, be the best version of himself and also like for all my other employees like that's super cool um now bringing like the charity component um which is what i've always wanted to do so like uh you know giving to charities partnering with pencils and promise to uh, to build a school over in a third world country haven't done that yet but we're like saving up the money um for that and just a bunch of things like that so giving back uh and then now I think it gets into the real fun part where, you know, I really see business as a game and now it gets to the fun part where, okay, the economic returns are starting to be pretty rock solid. So I can start to do stuff with that money that I want to do. So charity, I can, you know, I want my parents to never have to work again. Um, and, and to be able to have cool experiences for them, uh, and just things like that, where it's like, you know, this is why I play this game, uh, and yeah. this is why I'm in this game. Uh, and so those, those have been, you, you know, those are probably the most rewarding pieces for me. There's two things you just said that made me think of Pat Flynn. You were talking about getting all those success stories and he has that board up in his home office that he like turns to, to get reminded of what he's doing, why he's doing, particularly when it's like a grind. And he also does the pencils, uh, for promise was pencils to Pencils of promise. Yep. Yeah. Um, so it's really cool that you're you're doing that too, and I, I love seeing when really successful entrepreneurs sort of like do uh, partner up. He was a real inspiration for me uh, getting this podcast off the ground when I first when I left my nine to five, which was more like a nine to nine. But you know, <laughs> when I left working that job, I you know I spent six months just like consuming you know content, learning, listening to his all of his podcasts, his entire back you know backlog. And finally was like, all right, I have to actually pick something and go. And I was like, that thing is a podcast. So, you know, in the podcast, I interviewed people who then ended up my book, right? Like the story, like I had the content around how to network. That's the topic. But to bring them to life, I had to share stories. And I got to share stories of really successful people because I interviewed them on the podcast. And then they endorsed the book. <laughs> Which is so cool. It was all really cool, right? Like yeah. all these things that a year earlier, like weren't possible. The book, like which I had been like thinking about for years, so like took shape. And um, now I'm already working on book two and I'm thinking about how I'm going to shift who I interview to like work on book two. And it's neat to have these two mediums work together because um, it really builds an audience. It builds a following of people who want to, they can't wait for the next thing to come out. For sure. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So there you go. There's a little success story for you. I, <laughs> I, um, but you know, it's not all fun. And like you talked about earlier, like that beginning of getting this off the ground, there's like a ton of challenges you know, and the leadership piece is a challenge for you. Was there something else that really was that like hurdle that you had to get over before you could be successful? Like, was there something that you just didn't have the skills for? Or <laughs> was it like, you know, a, a belief system? Like, what is it that was really kind of holding you back when you were like, okay, we're going to do this. I think, I think we're going to do this. Are we doing this? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of things I didn't have the skills for, <laughs> uh, but we did it anyway. It's one of it's uh, one of our core company core values: fail fast, fail forward, fail often. Because um, I believe if you're not failing, then then you're not pushing the envelope enough. And and so there was a lot of things I didn't have the skills for, and I, I think there's kind of checkpoints, right? There's making your first thousand to ten thousand dollars. Then there's hitting six figures. Um, there's hitting seven figures. 
uh, and then, then making your first million, maybe in a year, right? Like those are the checkpoints I see, at least along my journey. Uh, for some people, it might be like, hey, making enough to quit your job, making enough. And there's just like very unique and very different challenges that come with those. So in the beginning, it was like all of my bank accounts were negative. Uh, and I was trying and I borrowed $15,000 from friends and family. And I was like, we got to make this work. And that was right. So February, um, with, uh, at the end of February, all of my bank accounts were negative, And that was the same month that we launched self-publishing school. Um, so that was like, um, that was a pretty stressful time. Uh, and then, okay, then the business had success. Then it like, it took off. Um, but then, and then we went from zero to 1.32 million in sales in like uh, that 11 months. Uh, but then it was like, we weren't making much money because we were hiring too many people. We weren't paying attention to our margins, uh, things like that. So it's just like, okay, now we got to relearn the fundamentals. And about that time, the next challenge for me personally was uh, showed up to a company retreat, uh, found out from one of my employees that my business partner was trying to kick me out of my business. Uh, And I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Um, So we went through mediation uh, and then negotiated a buyout. uh, And then I went multiple six figures in debt for the first time in my life. I'd never been in debt. Um, I dropped out of school. um, So I didn't have school debt or anything like that. and so I've never been in debt, much less like multiple six figures in debt. So then that was the next challenge is like, hey, this business is bleeding cash and like uh, on the verge of failing and I got to completely turn it around. Um, and so, you know, that was like I had to fire a bunch of people and then like cut, just cut down and like, okay, we got to get profitable. And I was just so laser focused on paying off that debt because it was like I borrowed like like $50,000 from my parents, like a bunch of money from my brother. Like this is like, I'm talking like their retirement and things like that. So it's like, there's the failure is not an option. Like I'm not defaulting on that loan. Right. Um, there's no way. And, and I borrowed way more than that from other people. So that I cared about as well. So it was like, there was no way I could, I could, um, default on that. So then that was the next challenge of, okay. Um, you know, I, I paid off that debt in, um, gosh, what was it like 10 months, 11 months? I was by, by like May of next year or something. Uh, so, um, that, it, it was, uh, that, you know, those are the unique challenges. And then towards the end of that, it was learning the rules of the game. So like, and, and, uh, Warren Buffett has a quote that, uh, accounting, uh, accounting is the rules of the game. And if you don't know the rules, you can't win the game. Right. So learning that and learning how to really run a business, um, not just make money because I can make it rain. <laughs> like that's my skill set is like uh, marketing, sales, bringing in the money, right? But I had to learn that uh, that top line doesn't equal the bottom line. <laughs> no, yeah, and the bottom line's all that matters. So yeah, yeah, I, I call it chasing the revenue rabbit. Um, when 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 people chase revenue and then they go to dinner parties and brag about it and no one actually stops to ask, hey, how much are you actually making? Like, what's your what's your take home profit or how much did you make last month? <laughs> like nobody wants to ask that, but people will gladly say, oh, I had you know, like we did, we're gonna do three point two million dollars this year or whatever. Right. And I learned that okay, that's cool, but that's significantly or that's a decent amount less than what yeah. we wanted to do this year. But our profit is way higher that's good right wanted. so that's about all I you're, go, you're going in the right direction my my background is organizing fundraising events and you know in that world a lot of places oh, are gosh, spending 50 70 yeah. percent of every dollar that they you know raise is going to some expense and i'm like then you're not doing it right for you sure know, like, for you're sure. just like 
why have a why have an event like that? So I was always trying to keep it at like 19 to 25% and doing, you know, being really focused on the final number, you know, the net. Yes. <laughs> like what's the net? Yes. And I agree. Like it's yeah, it's a really tricky thing to keep in mind as you're having to like build systems and and hire new staff and you're learning along the way and all those mistakes that you make. So as an entrepreneur, you this is sort of like a 24-7 sort of thing. Like you're always thinking about, you know life because life is work and work is life. Like I get it. Like how do you integrate that? Like what is the work life integration? I don't want to say balance because it's kind of a misnomer, <laughs> but like, well, how do you know when you're not working? I guess would be a, a one way to ask that question. Hmm. That's a great question. I just turn it off. I mean, when I'm not, I, I'm kind of like, when I'm not working, I'm all the way not working for the most part. So I'm kind of, I think a lot of people, they try to dip their toes in the, they, they like keep one foot in where it's like, oh, I'm going on vacation, but I'll be checking email the whole time. I'm just like, no, either what, while I'm working, I'm insanely working. Like, you know, uh, like up at six, let's go till six or seven, you know, maybe even start back before I go to sleep. Okay, go to sleep, wake up, do it again. But then when I'm off, it's like, my team knows this is like, yo, I'm off. Like if you absolutely need me, text or call me, but like, I'm not going to be in Slack. I'm certainly not going to be in my email or uh, anything like that. So I think that's the biggest key for me is having, um, one of my favorite books is, uh, is the one thing. And in this, they, they, in that book, they talk about, uh, the, the myth of balance and how it's actually swinging on other sides. You know, it's like, it's actually in, in the extremes, you equalize at balance um, it's kind of a hard thing to explain without seeing the picture that they draw in the book. Um, but that's, that's what it, that's kind of what it looks like for me is like, okay, um, balance is in the extremes and going like, you know, um, we're interviewing, we're doing this recording on a Thursday. I'm, I just had a very hard and intense week and like 6am tomorrow morning, I'm flying to the East coast for the weekend. My plane lands at three 30. My brother's picking me up. We're going straight to the lake with my family. Uh, we're going to Clemson yeah. football game this weekend and I'm going to be off. And then my plane flies back like 8 PM on Sunday. And it's like, all right, then I'm getting back in the mode for my, for my work week. And then Monday morning, it's like boots on the ground, head the ground running. Right. So yeah, for me, yeah. like hard off, hard on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that's kind of how I integrate between the two. So you earlier you mentioned uh, Chandler that you read a book a week. How do you find time for that? And, wh- and what, yeah, where, where in your schedule do you fit that in? Yeah. Um, so, um, I make time for it every single morning. Uh, and it's, it's part of my morning routine. Um, how Elrod, the miracle morning is like my favorite book. Talk uh, about it all the time on the show. Oh yeah. It is just so good. And that book changed my life forever. How's a good buddy of mine. Uh, and the most inspiring person that I know hands down. Um, and, and that book was a game changer for me. Miracle Morning is a game changer for me. So it's just every morning. And then also uh, getting back into some audio because I'm not hardcore reading quite like I was probably like nine, six, nine months ago um, where it was like, I was straight up like reading like uh, four books a, a, a month. Now it's like probably one of those will be an audio book and three of them will be reading. Um, and so um, that helps as well to kind of get, get those in. Um, and so that's, it's, you know, 30 minutes every morning. You know, it made, someone uh, made me realize, and I think it was actually in how, one of Howard's books, it, his, uh, his Miracle Morning for Writers uh, was actually part of me making the shift into writing. 
um, was like really helpful. But like, you don't need to read that many pages a day. Like if you read 10 minutes a day, you're going to, you're going to quickly get through a 200 page book, you know? So like, that's a business book every two weeks, if you just did 10 minutes a day. So I think sometimes people put it off thinking it's like, well, I'm never actually going to finish this. So I, I currently have a book in every room and like in one in my car. So <laughs> if I have 15 minutes in any of those spaces, I just don't have to think about it. I just like pick up the book now and I like read 10 pages and then I'm like, okay, switch gears. So if I'm like waiting in the car for something to happen, I can like read while I'm waiting. And I'm trying to do that instead of getting on my phone. Cause like, yeah. that's the thing. I mean, it's not like the time's not there. It's just that I usually would be like surfing Facebook. Um, <laughs> so it's like, yeah, that discipline. So um, is there a habit that you're particularly struggling though to incorporate into your life? Hmm. Habit I'm struggling. Uh, going to bed on time. That's the biggest one right now. What is on time? Uh, for me, on time is 1030. Because uh, seven, seven and a half hours is my magic number. And, and um, I learned kind of a long time ago, not, not a crazy long time ago, but when I was first started working from home, that uh, if you're going to get up early and commit to America morning, the one non-negotiable has to be the time that you get up. Cause I would be like, Oh, I, and cause I'm a very, very much a, um, a circadian rhythms. Like I would, I, I need to get in the, it's just science, right? Like if you're, if you fall asleep and, and wake up in the middle of a circadian rhythm, which typically uh, the average is every one and a half hours for people, it varies based on the person. But so it's like, okay, six hours, seven and a half, nine, four and a right, half. But if right. you fall in the middle, uh, you'll just wake up in a fog. So I was like, I would find myself if I was going to bed a little bit later, okay, well, I need to adjust so that I hit my circadian rhythm. But then I just realized that um, now, now this is a negotiation that I'm having myself daily, which is, takes willpower uh, and, and unnecessarily. So I just said, okay, then one non-negotiable for me is 6 a.m. Uh, and and that's, it's either going to be my reward or it's going to be my punishment. <laughs> so if I miss my bedtime, uh, it's like, it's a punishment. Like I'm just going to be dragging the next day and that's my fault. And so I'll learn and I'll not do it the next time, but just self governing kind of in that way. And so, but the, the, the trick that I just know how important sleep is for me and you read it all the time, you know, it. it's just like drink lots of water, sleep and exercise, like three very simple things to live a very healthy life that everyone knows and hardly anyone does. <laughs> right. Uh, and so it, it, for me, that's the one habit that it's like, I go in and out of. Yeah, I, this is the part that I have trouble with too. Is like my wife and I are both night people, and our and even though I have a toddler, I've trained him to sleep in. <laughs> so, oh, wow. oh yeah, he, he'll most days sleep until nine. I mean, if wow. he sleeps in, if he like gets up before eight a.m., it's like, oh, what's going on? You know, <laughs> which is not usual. Like yeah. everyone's like, oh, you're going to be morning people because you've got a, a little kid. And I'm like, well, but we're about to have our second, so it could happen again. Yeah, but you're right. Like. I, my thing is I try not to start anything new after 1030 so that I'm winding down. So mm. by 11, I'm like getting ready for bed and like, right. you know, so it's like, I'm trying to make that shift. Yeah. So I have an alarm that goes off at nine, um, which is kind of like, uh, it probably should be a little bit later, but that's kind of like, Hey, uh, get, you know, it's like time to start wrapping up and moving in that direction. Uh, and that's like, uh, what's that? Five nights a week. So Sunday night through Thursday night. 
Um, and so it's also kind of helpful too, if like I'm out and about and randomly it'll go off at 9 PM and then people will ask what that is. And I'll just make a joke and be like, Oh, that's my bedtime alarm. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> or I'm usually like, oh, it's my birth control. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm like, just kidding. It's my bedtime. alarm. And they, they, they think you're still kidding. So <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, no, I'm actually serious. I've got to go. <laughs> yeah. But it is a nice kind of little segue. Speaking of segues, talk a little bit about the network that you've built. So, I mean, uh, you've already named a bunch of people you know, right? You, you've grown in this business very quickly in the last few years. Um, you surrounded yourself with really smart people. Uh, you've learned a lot along the way. How are, you, how are you nurturing and sustaining those connections? Like, are you being purposeful about that or is it more happenstance? Yeah, uh, this is something I go through waves of being good at and then being bad at. I, um, I mean, I naturally just care about, like, and enjoy people. Um, it's, a, uh, it's something that I enjoy. So uh, it, it's, it comes relatively natural. It's the follow-up and staying in touch that's harder for me, mostly because it's just like I get so into my work. It's like, you know, right now on my phone, it's like 340-something text messages that I haven't replied to. And that's just, you know, it's like a lot of times it's just like I get in the zone. Uh, and, and so my friends sometimes make fun of that, like, like, oh, if I text you, I know I'll get a response in like two days. <laughs> if I email you, I get a response never. <laughs> uh, and, and, and it's just like, I don't know, that's something I need to do a better job of. But then there's also the trade-offs where I choose to not have those do- things dominate my life so I can get what's truly important done. Um, but I certainly make relationships a priority. Um, I love meeting new people when I'm going to conferences. I try to put together dinners, stuff like that, as well as back in uh, 2014 or 20. Yeah, I think it was 2014. Um, I did, uh, I did a um, a thank you card every single day for the whole year. So like that was huge for growing my network. Uh, and then just the biggest thing, which I think people forget about, is like just giving to people, not taking. Um, and for a long time, so just you know when I meet people, just saying, hey, how can I help? Or uh, you know, it's it's not it's not what can you do for me? That's never how I lead. Um, and so I think as a result, like that's been the biggest thing that's grown my business um, because not many people know this, but I mean, when you look at the percentage breakdown from the three main customer acquisition channels that we have, affiliates are by far the number one. Um, and it's, it, you know, people like Jeff Goins, people like uh, Jeff Walker, Evan Pagan, Hal Elrod, Joseph Michael, like they've sent us so much business. And that's the only reason we were able to grow so fast, especially in the early days, is because of making true, genuine relationships um, with people who it's like a good fit for them. And then that helps grow the business. It helps them make a lot of money. Yeah, no, that's great. I've actually, uh, I know you were just recently doing a whole blitz, getting uh, a big, a big launch happening and every list that I was on, I got an invitation <laughs> to like join self-publishing school um, and I was like, yeah. And then it grew. I mean, like 40% increase. I just, you know, the numbers have been tremendous when you hop onto the Facebook community. Do you have, um, do you have a mentor or um, a mastermind that you're part of? Uh, I'm not currently in any masterminds. I, I, I like, I went to a mastermind a couple of weeks ago uh, and I do those sort of things. Uh, and then currently, I don't have someone who would be like a definitive mentor. I mean, I have a lot of people I learn from and model and things like that, that you could probably consider mentors. That's actually one of the big next phases for me. I feel like it's a huge undersight. Um, you know, I go through waves b- between where I'm in, in a lot of masterminds or conferences or stuff like that. And then I'll like ebb, ebb and flow out of that where it's like, okay, I feel like I'm too much into that. I just need to 
put my head down and get some stuff done. Uh, and then, and so, but one of the big things I've never been able to crack very well uh, is finding a really great mentor um, who's, well, I've had a lot of them along the way, um, but uh, yeah, this will sound however it sounds, but it's just like, I feel like I keep out, outgrowing my mentors where it's just like, you know, there are a couple steps ahead of me. And then like a few months later, it's like, yo, we're equal. And then I'm passing them. Uh, and so that's been the challenge for me is um, just as quickly as I've been growing and as quickly as the business has been growing. It's like to keep scouting um, bigger and, and better mentors that not only that I admire in, uh, in business, uh, but in like other areas of life. Right. Cause I have a hard time listen to someone who's like had three divorces and their kids hate them. And it's like, Oh cool. This is my mentor (laughs) because the family piece is important to me. My faith is important to me. Like there's a lot of other areas of my life that I'd like to be good at besides just business. Yeah. Yeah. It's smart to think about the whole person that you're going to be following and not just their business acumen. Um, You know, there's a question I always ask and and, uh, we were talking about this before we hopped on the air together with how, I'm going to have to adjust the question a little bit because I I usually ask about, you know, what would you tell your 25-year-old self? So I'll just say, what would you tell somebody or what what do you think you needed to hear, you know, when you were first getting started about what you needed to really build a strong and supportive professional network? So to to really be thoughtful about that piece. Just care about people. (laughs) Uh, And and, and the thank you cards thing, like that that was... You know, I just did that because I, I, I knew I, I was at a time where I was like, I was making a big transition uh, and I knew it was going to be a hard, it was going to be a hard time. And so I was like, I need to be reminded daily of what I'm grateful for. So I did that as part of my morning routine. Every morning I'd write a thank you card to somebody. Um, and they, it sounds like they were really well received and that oh, was... gosh, yeah. I mean, people would send me thank yous for sending them thank yous or like that they... <laughs> You know, I'd listen to podcasts and be like, hey, you know, I learned so much. Thank you for this. I'm especially like this part, like the podcast, like you're an inspiration to me. Thanks for doing what you do. And then like I had Brian Kurtz uh, send me back like uh, direct response marketing books. He's like, hey, you said you were interested in learning more about direct response. Like here's a couple books that I like. Hope you enjoy them. Like Andrew Warner sent me a thank you card back. Like, hey, thanks. Glad you're enjoying the show. Stuff like that. It's just like. People don't, it's breaking the pattern. That would be my advice is do things that other people don't do or aren't willing to do. So I love sending gifts in the mail. I love sending thank you cards. I love sending like all that stuff, you know, and like here are a couple that, (laughs) that like bounce back, right? Because their dress is wrong, but you know, it's just like, so there's, there's a brown envelope and like there's a handwritten thank you card in there. And it's just like, Hey, this is something that's different. Uh, I, back in the day I had a, a stamp of my, well, I guess I still have it, but like a stamp on my face, like me cheesing. Uh, and I do a little, do a little uh, quote bubble that was like me saying something is like, you rock. Thank you so much. Or like, you know, something, just make it funny uh, and memorable. Uh, and just like, I don't know, I think in a day where people would like, they'll barely even send a thank you email to thank you for something. Like if, if they send you a thank you card or like, I mean, gosh, like a gift, that is just mind blowing. And when I had no money, I was still like 40, 50 bucks to send someone a gift when I met them or something. And like some of those people become my biggest affiliates. And I wasn't sending them a gift for them to be my biggest affiliate. I was sending them a gift because I appreciated them, you know, uh, as a human being. And so I think that just not losing sight of that is like, uh, it's they're, they're just treating people as humans and really having their best interests in mind. Yeah, I've actually taken a habit of um, when I travel to conferences in particular, I'll make sure I leave with a stack of 
you know, stamps, envelopes, you know, note cards. And, or if I forget that, I'll, I'll use the note, the note paper that's in the hotel room. Yeah. Yeah. I want them to kind of know I just, I did it right then and there. And, uh, you know, not everyone gets it, but like the, the handful of people that I wanted to particularly reach out to and make an impact, you know, connect with, I'll send that, you know, I'll try to even mail it from the business office at the hotel and then I'll go home and they'll, and I'll email them and they'll be like, I just got your card. They'll reply to the email and be like, I just yep. got your card, you yeah. know? And even a lot of times, you know, people will say, oh, sure. You know, I'll be on your show. Talk to my assistant. Here's their email. But because of the card, they reply <laughs> to me before the assistant does. Yeah. And they're like, hey, thanks so much for the card. My assistant will schedule everything. I'm looking forward to it. It's like yeah. that helped me get a lot of amazing people on my podcast that I like almost, I was almost joked, like, I have no reason to talk to this person. Mm. And here I am like going up and offering them like, Hey, can I interview you? It gave me a reason to talk to them, yep. but to make an impression. Cause you know, everyone like talks to them. <laughs> That's not For enough. Sure. I, how do you offer a little bit more? So, sure. um, just this is my last, uh, and favorite question, uh, is if we were to meet a year from now, and I hope that we keep crossing paths in person and whatnot, cause you do some cool things. What kinds of accomplishments will, will we be celebrating? What are the things that you're you've got on the horizon that you're going to be like, yeah, this is what we've achieved in the next year. Yeah. Hopefully hitting 10 million with my business, retiring my parents. Uh, and yeah, those are the two big ones. <laughs> it's pretty big. Like, yeah, those are the, those are the two big ones. Uh, and really just like be, be, being at least two times as good of a leader as I am right now. Uh, and, and, and just growing my people in the process. And I actually, if you go to robbysimons.com slash SPS, you'll get a lot of really cool videos from Chandler to kind of walk you through the process. Um, you send a lot of emails. I got to like warn people about that. Mm-hmm. But what I do tell people is you send a lot of great content. So sure. if, you, if you open up even a third of the emails, you will learn a lot yep. um, and be sold on, on the process and hopefully actually write the book that's within you. What, what's the percentage? It's like 1% actually do it and 80% want to. That's it. I've heard you say it a few times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a hook. Awesome. Chandler, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Robbie. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Chandler Bolt. Such a pleasure to speak with him and learn about his leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week you'll benefit from for years to come. Share it resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com, look for episode 61. Do you have a book that you've been dying to write, but you just can't seem to get it done? I know how you feel, and that's where I was just a few months ago. It's still a bit surreal that I actually wrote and published a book. If I can do it, so can you. Get started by checking out Chandler's free webinar training, How to Go from Blank Page the published author in 90 days, and use your book to grow a six-figure income. It's available at robbysamuels.com slash SBS. When you sign up, you'll also receive a free copy of Chandler's latest book, Book Launch. So you'll have a roadmap to help you finally check publish a book off your bucket list. You know something really crazy? If you started working with Chandler today, you could write a book this year. That's right. If you're listening the week this episode airs, there are more than 90 days left in 2017. So what are you waiting for? Sign up for the free webinar 
at robbysamuels.com slash SPS. The link will be in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 61. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I would love to read your review on iTunes. It's easy to find our iTunes page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance, and I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on their way to becoming successful leaders. Until then, have an awesome week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.